This first uh, message is from my wife. Um, I asked her to share uh, a Mother's Day message if she wanted to, and she agreed, and I'm so glad. Let me tell you something. No matter how tired she is, no matter what kind of a day she's had, she gives her all to her family. And I'm incredibly grateful for the ministry that she does in our home and also in this church. So I knew you would be blessed uh, because of what she has to share. So stay tuned for a special message from my wife, Angela, and then I'll share uh, the other sermon, sermon part two, in just a few moments. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mamas and grandmas, aunts, sisters, stepmoms, one day moms, hopeful moms, grieving moms, fur moms foster moms, stand-in moms, and anyone else out there who's celebrating or even those not celebrating today. Today is a joyful day for some of us and for others it's hard and I myself have been in both camps but either way we love you so much and we are so glad that you're worshiping with us today. I'm so sorry we can't all be together face to face this morning but we will be soon and I personally, I for one, I cannot wait for that day. So as I've said in the past, I am not a preacher. I was not called to be a preacher. My super hunky husband over there, he's great at it. So most Sundays I'll let him handle it. And when Jason asked me if I wanted to speak on Mother's Day, my initial response was, no, thank you. Because it's just, it's not something I'm good at. It's not something that I've ever even thought of doing. But as I was reading through the book of Luke earlier this month, a tiny fragment of a verse stood out to me and I really felt the Holy Spirit say, there, that's it. That's what I want you to talk about. So I called Jason and I told him I'd speak, but that I didn't think I could come up with a whole sermon. So that's why we're sharing the pulpit this morning. So when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I was reading through Luke chapter 8. And when chapter 7 ends, Jesus has just had dinner at the house of the Pharisee and the woman with the alabaster box of ointment had just washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. That's one of my favorite Bible verses, Bible stories, by the way. So that's where chapter 8 picks up. In my Bible, it's called Women Accompanying Jesus, this section that I'm reading from. So let's read it together. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and I'm reading from the NIV. After Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Husa, the manager of Herod's household. And side note, can we just acknowledge that the wife of Herod's household manager was a follower of Jesus? Wow but also Susanna and many others were following. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. That last part, that's the part that stood out to me. And if you know me, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's amazing how that happens. You can read a passage over and over in the Bible and then just one day, something small, something will jump out at you. It's like brand new information that you've never heard before. That was the case with those last 12 words. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. My initial reaction when I heard that this time was, wait, what? These women, women following Jesus and they were providing for him? 
they provided for him out of their own means, out of their own personal belongings. These women that society saw as less than, not equal to the men around them, they brought all that they had and they ministered to the Savior. The Bible doesn't say that what they had was great or noteworthy or extravagant or envy-inducing, but it was what they had. Just like the woman with the alabaster box, what they brought was priceless because it was given to the Savior. That's what we as women, mothers, daughters, and sisters, all of us, that's what we are called to do. We're called to bring what we have, give it to God, and he will use it. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Whatever you're doing, if you're cooking for a family, if you're working your nine to five or a 12 hour shift, if you're chasing toddlers or holding the hands of a lonely senior, if you're folding clothes at the women's shelter or you're speaking before thousands, whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. Are you a good listener? Do you give good advice? Are you tech savvy? Are you patient? Are you a great delegator? Can you discern truth from a lie? Do you love to cook and serve others? Are you a great planner? Do it all for the glory of God, but also do it knowing that you have brought your Savior all that you have. At the end of this life, when we're standing face to face with our beautiful Savior, he's not going to say, your house could have been cleaner, your singing voice could have used a little work, or your organizational skills were really not that great. He'll lovingly look into your eyes and say, thank you. Thank you for being a steward of the gifts that I gave you. Thank you for being my hands and feet and giving God all of the glory. You have been given a gift, and to those around you, you are a gift. Use it well and use it for him. Thank you for letting me share my heart with you for a few minutes today. In Numbers chapter 6, Moses gives Aaron a word from the Lord. It's a priestly blessing to speak over Israel. And Carrie Job has taken the scripture and turned it into a song, and it is powerful. Jason and I were talking about how you can't go wrong. You just can't go wrong singing right out of the scripture. And I believe that for prayers as well. So today, I want to pray that blessing over you. It's from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. The Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. We love you so very much. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Happy Mother's Day. Well, good morning. Uh, we hope that what Angela shared with you is a blessing and a reminder for you. Um, today's message, I, I just really felt directed of the Lord to share this. Um, it's, I've entitled it A Tale of Two Moms. And leading up to Mother's Day, I was really trying to wrestle with what scripture, what story, what example could I give on Mother's Day um, to, speak to, the late, to speak into the lives of our daughters, our moms, our grandmas out there. 
And I was running down a mental list of all of the significant mothers in the Bible. I narrowed it down to two moms in the Bible that had so much in common, and yet their firstborn sons turned out so differently. But at the outset, let me give this disclaimer. Almost every Father's Day, I share a message to the men about stepping up, about being more involved, and sternly challenging them to be more of a godly influence in the lives of their kids. But most Mother's Day sermons aren't like that. They are more encouraging and less convicting. And I'm not confrontational just to be confrontational, but mothers, you have to remember the tremendous burden that comes with the blessing of your children. Dads and moms must absolutely take these responsibilities seriously. God will hold you accountable for the raising of your children in godly homes and in godly ways. You cannot throw your hands up in the air when it gets tough. You can't quit just because your kid refuses to listen or obey. Parenting is the hardest job on the planet. And it is the job at which we cannot fail or the repercussions can be catastrophic. Let me show you what I mean. The first mother we're looking at today is quite literally the first mother, Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, God is concerned that Adam was incomplete. All the animals that God had made had mates, but Adam did not. Genesis 2.18, it says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Later in that chapter, God caused a deep sleep to come across Adam. God took one of the ribs of Adam's, from Adam's side and he used that to form Eve so that Adam could later say she was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, but they managed to mess up perfection fairly quickly in the story. They were tempted by the serpent and they gave into that temptation, thus bringing sin into the human race. Then God expelled them from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.23, it says that God sent them back to work the ground from which Adam was taken. I think there's a little poetic justice in, the, in that part of the sentence. To be pointed to the spot where God took dirt from in order to make you. Now that dirt becomes your garden where you plant work, till, cultivate, and produce crops from. Adam and Eve were there, outside of the Garden of Eden, ashamed, afraid, and alone. Now, we don't know how much time passed between the expulsion from the Garden and Eve's first pregnancy, but I can tell you that it could not possibly, she could not possibly have known what to expect. She definitely was not given a copy of what to expect when you're expecting at her first doctor's appointment. There was no one around to tell her what was normal and what was not normal. There were no ultrasounds, no lab results, no one to ask what was going on, and no one to help. It was just her and Adam, and he definitely didn't know what to do. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve welcomed the first child into the world, Cain. Most likely, a short time passed between Eve getting pregnant with her second-born son, Abel, and having him. 
These two boys grew up with parents as the only people on the planet. The only things they knew, they learned from Adam and Eve. And what did they know? God had only given them two commands. Be fruitful and multiply, which they didn't immediately do. And don't eat from one specific tree in the garden, which they did immediately do. Now, raising children is hard enough. But I can imagine it was even harder with no help and no experts on the subject. Now you can find an expert in pediatric medicine, an ear, nose, and throat doctor for all those pesky childhood infections, a children's dentist, and even a child psychologist. Eve had none of that. So we shouldn't try to be too hard on her. I've had to do jobs that I wasn't trained for, and parenting is absolutely the hardest job of all. But as the original saying goes, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And what that means is the, the end result is the mark of success or failure of one's efforts. Now, Cain's behavior demonstrated a tremendous parenting fail. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and his brother Abel offered a first fruits offering to God. God accepted Abel's offering. He rejected Cain's. Cain was furious that his younger brother had showed him up, not just to his parents, but to God himself. And God saw that in, Abel, in Cain's heart, and he warned him in Genesis 4, 7. He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain rejected the advice of God, and he decided that vengeance was the right course of action. Genesis 4.8 says Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. What we know from the Greek reading in 1 John 3, which references this story, Cain turned his younger brother into the very first human sacrifice by the way that he killed him. Eve didn't know what she was doing when she was raising Cain, and she had no example to look back on, no one to help her raise this boy, and it showed. In his attitude and his actions, it showed. Another mother in the Bible probably felt the same way. There was no blueprint for this mother either. The second mother we're looking at this morning is Mary, the mother of the Son of God. Now Mary was probably a teenager when she was engaged to be married to Joseph. During their engagement, the angel Gabriel came to her and told her that she was highly favored by God. As such, God was going to do something completely unique. A virgin woman would conceive God's son who would be the Messiah they had all been waiting for. Now, we hear that story every Christmas, and it's so easy to get numb to the shock value of a message like that. But put yourself in Mary's place. She's not married yet. She's still a virgin, and her mind had to race to all of the consequences of an action like this. If she was found to be pregnant, Joseph could not only divorce her and have her publicly humiliated, she could also face the death penalty in that culture. This was incredibly scandalous for her and a huge risk. 
But Gabriel told her in Luke 11, I'm sorry, Luke 1, verses 30 through 33, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What an amazing declaration over a child. Your child is going to be great, the greatest, in fact. He will be the king from David's line that you've all been waiting for. But there's one inherent problem with all of this. Mary was an imperfect person having to parent a perfect child. Talk about pressure. You can't spank him because he's never wrong. He never sins. He never disobeys you. He always honors you. So it should have been the easiest child ever to raise. Yet it was God's son. Mary couldn't ever trick him. She couldn't ever say, come on, Jesus, we're going to Disney World, when in fact she was really taking him to the dentist. She had, to be, she had to try and be perfect, as perfect a mother as possible because of the perfection of her child. What a weight, what a burden on a person. All this had to be running through her head at lightning speed. She looked up at Gabriel with sincerity and innocence in her voice and she said in Luke 1.34, How will this be since I am a virgin? Gabriel replied in Luke 1, 35-38, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of the Most High God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, when you watch a child grow, you see the physical characteristics of that child that you recognize in one of the parents. People say things like, oh, she's got her mother's eyes or he's got his daddy's nose. Well, Jesus had half of Mary's DNA and half of God's DNA. As she looked down at this sleeping child in her arms, I believe she began to notice what resembled her and what must resemble God the Father. This tender child that she's holding was born for war. He was born to fight and defeat the strongholds of the enemy. He was born to die. Mary was holding in her arms the promises and the prophecies of thousands of generations in her arms. Each night, Mary had the privilege to rock the Messiah to sleep, to touch his face, to kiss his cheeks, and to watch him grow into a man. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He had opportunities to disobey, to dishonor, and to do his own thing. Even his first miracle wasn't even supposed to be his first miracle. In John chapter 2, Mary and Jesus are attending a wedding, and the family uh, that was putting on the wedding had run out of wine. Mary didn't want them to be embarrassed, so she went to Jesus and she told him, They have no wine. Jesus replied, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Previous to this, there were no documented miracles of Jesus. He had not done anything 
except be a faithful son to Mary and Joseph and to his heavenly father. But Mary knew. When Gabriel first told her what Jesus would become in Luke chapter 1, she treasured those things in her heart. After Simeon and the prophetess Anna spoke blessings and prophecies over Jesus when he was dedicated into the, in the temple, she treasured those things in her heart. When Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old boy teaching the religious leaders, teaching the teachers, and he told her that his mission was to do his heavenly Father's work, she treasured those things in her heart. Mary knew there was something unique and amazing about Jesus. She couldn't bear the thought of someone being embarrassed, so she asked Jesus to do something. When Jesus responded that it wasn't his time yet, Mary turned to the servants and she said to them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. The first miracle of Jesus when he turned water into wine was not supposed to be his first miracle, but it was because of his love for his mother. Eve and Mary were two mothers who had so much in common. They were both firsts. Eve bore the first child and the first son of Adam. Mary bore the first son of God. Eve didn't have an instruction manual on how to be pregnant, how to deliver, how to raise a child. Mary didn't have an instruction manual on how to be a pregnant virgin, what the delivery or raising the son of God would be like. Eve in her sinful state raised the first child who was a sinful man. Mary, in her sinful state, raised the first child who was a perfect man, but he put on the sinfulness of the world in order to redeem it. I think Eve and Mary both did the best they could, but the end result, the contrast between the son of Adam and the son of God, between Cain and Jesus, is striking. Cain was disobedient to God. Jesus was obedient to the Father to the point of death on the cross. Cain was arrogant. Jesus was the embodiment of humility. Cain presented his offering to God with no regard. Jesus became the final offering to God through total surrender to God's will by saying, not my will, not what I want, but what will accomplish your purposes, Father, that's what I'll do. Cain approached a holy God with a corrupt heart and corrupt motives. Jesus' motives were pure and innocent desiring to save others rather than himself. Cain was a murderer. Jesus was a sacrifice. Mothers, you have a tremendous burden to guide your children. But if you do it well, your children will be a tremendous blessing. They'll bless not only you, but all that they come in contact with, regardless of what kind of a mother you've been or how your kids are turning out. There's still time to change and become the mother that you know you need to be. Speak life, encouragement, and blessing into them. If you don't know what to do, look for good and godly examples to follow and do what they do. When King Lemuel saw the good example that his mother had been, he described that in Proverbs 31. Verses 25 to 31, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, it says this. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. 
She carefully watches everything in her household and she suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her, saying, There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. This is not the husband speaking at this point. That's the, this is a, a new part. It says, Charm is deceptive and beauty doesn't last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. When we look for godly examples, we can find them in the Bible. We can see their humanity. We can see when they succeed and when they fail. And they're great examples for us to learn lessons from. So we encourage you, get in the Word of God, read the Word, study these, the lives of these biblical characters. We don't need to put them on a pedestal where they don't deserve. They were real people, just like me and you. They made mistakes just like me and you, but their lives can, can, serve, us as, can serve as warning signs and good examples to follow for those good and godly folks in the Bible. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our ladies. I thank you for our mothers, our daughters, uh, all of the ladies that make up our church family, all of the ladies that are listening to this. Lord, would you bless them and keep them? Lord, would you... uh, Would you let this be a a great day for them to celebrate, Lord, that all you've done in their life. And we pray, Lord, for those that desire to be mothers. Lord, we pray that you have, if you've given them a desire in their heart to be a mom, that you would enable them, you would enable that to come to pass. Lord, you have done the impossible time and time again. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, if you have given a desire for our ladies uh, to, to have a child, adopt a child, whatever, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to know what to do, when to do it, and peace, that if you've spoken a word, you're going to see it through. So I pray, God, that you would bless our ladies today, this week, and this year. Lord, that you would make them good and godly examples for other ladies to follow. And if maybe they're not living the way they should, maybe they're not doing what they should, Lord, that they would get in your word, they would get into a a Bible-believing church near them, they would uh, just make their spiritual walk a, a priority so that they can grow in the Lord and they can be a godly woman. Uh, that is approved by you. And so we thank you for our ladies today. Bless them and keep them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Friendship Church. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you need prayer, stick around. You can comment. Uh, You can click the live prayer button and someone, one of our ministers, will join in a chat with you and pray with you. You can leave comments, questions. If you're watching this on YouTube, we pray that you're blessed. Go check out our website for previous messages. But we love you and we pray God's richest blessings in your life. God bless you, Friendship Church. Have a great day.